everyone, and welcome back to the Stanford Women's Basketball Podcast from the Stanford Daily. I'm your co-host, Zach. And I'm your co-host, Gavin. We're excited to be here to talk about the defending national champions, your Stanford Women's Basketball team. Zach, this is, without exaggeration, our most exciting episode to date. Since our last time together, Stanford Women's Basketball team took on Maryland in a Sweet 16 and Texas in the Elite Eight. And guess what, Zachary? Guess what? What is it, Gavin? The Cardinal prevailed. They punched their ticket to the Final Four yet again. 15 Final Fours for this program. I want to say it's no big deal for them, but that would be undermining the incredible season that they've put on. It it is hard to get to the Final Four. 356 women's college basketball programs at the Division I level. 68 teams in the field for March Madness, and now it's just down to four, Stanford included. You you can't overstate how impressive that is. And, and for the second year in a row, 15th time in school history, incredible. Yeah, it really is incredible, Zach. I could not have said it better myself. 358 teams, I didn't even know there were that many at the Division One level. Just to be in that that final four, that elite company, that's you know an achievement in and of itself. Absolutely. I'm I'm just so excited because there's been so much great basketball played this this past weekend. You know, last time we spoke, like you said, the Cardinal just wrapped up play in the first two rounds of the tournament with wins over Montana State and Kansas. We we knew they had a tough matchup ahead against number four Maryland. Gavin, do you wanna give the people a rundown of, of what went down up in Spokane? Of course, Zach. Um, as we talked about before on this podcast, Stanford faced Maryland earlier this season and what uh, what's our favorite tournament other than than March Madness? That's all. Yes, the uh, Baja Mar Hoops Pink Flamingo Championship in Nassau in the Bahamas. Um, and in that game, if you recall, both teams weren't quite at full strength due to both injuries and COVID protocol. Um, and the Cardinal won pretty handily. The final score, eighty six sixty eight. Uh, I believe at the time Maryland had just like seven healthy players suited up. So that was not the same Maryland team we saw this time around. Uh, Hannah Jump in that game also, she she went off seven threes, 21 points. Um, Big game for her. And it was, you know, just a totally different matchup though, right? Right. The teams were not at full strength. It was completely different from what we saw in the Sweet 16. Um, And the teams were healthy this time around. Uh, and Maryland had, had improved a lot. Um, over the course of the season, they established themselves as one of the best offensive teams in the country. They had the sixth highest scoring average, um, and in their first two games of the tournament, uh, they averaged 95.5 points. Jeez. That's kind of a lot for a 40-minute game. Jeez. Um, in the first round, they had 102 points against Delaware. Uh, but the Stanford defense, they're, they're not going to allow that many points. I mean, they've Uh-oh. given up at most 74 this year. Um, and in the first half... On that uh, in that Sweet 16 game on Friday, Stanford just prevented Maryland from getting their offense going. Um, I think they Maryland scored 23 points, made like eight field goals, um, and that's just not the same offensive productivity that they're used to. No, they were struggling. Um, a big a big part of that that really strong Cardinal defense, that stifling defense, as we <laughs> like to call them. That's what we said all year about the defense. Um, a big part of that is Anna Wilson. Right, uh, right. She's you know long established herself as a top perimeter defender on the team, um, and she stepped up in a big way this game. Uh, she guarded Terps guard Katie Benzen, who's you know one of the five Maryland starters who's averaging double figures. She averaged came into the game averaging ten point two points per game. She held her scoreless. Anna Wilson did scoreless. That yeah. is tough to do. I mean, just. This matchup, it, it reminds me a lot of the Pac-12 tournament game, Pac-12 uh, tournament title game against Utah, right? Utah, best offense in the Pac-12, highest scoring offense. 
Maryland, like you said, came in averaging 95.5 points per game, a top-10 offense in the country, and they just shut them down. And similar to Utah, they just could not get the ball rolling. And that's, that's what happens when you go up against this Stanford Cardinal team. We, we, we say it all year, right? But last year's Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year in Anna Wilson, this year's Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year in Cameron Brake, and a, a multi-Pac-12 defensive team selection and Lexi Hole, all three on the court, it, it, it's not going to come easy. We, we saw that against Montana State and obviously right here against Maryland, even when you have such a, a high-octane offense. It is tough to go up against this Stanford defense, even if you're one of the best offenses in the country. That's right. Um, anywho, Zach, Stanford built up a big lead in the first half and the, you know they extended it. They pushed it even farther. Uh, further in the third quarter um, and with just a few minutes left in that third period Stanford led by 26 I, I don't know about you Zach but I thought you know I, I for one expected a blowout I yeah I expected? checked the score saw a 20 plus point lead I was like oh we've got this sealed but next time I checked the score there was it, it kind of is one of those moments where I was like oh no yeah. yeah. Yes, Zach was broadcasting the the baseball game That's at the correct. same time for KZSU. It was like a six hour game, so he wasn't <laughs> able to to watch all of the the women's game like we would have he would have liked. But yeah, it was it was an unexpected comeback. Um, the the Terrapins they they went on a little ten zero run from the end of the third quarter to the beginning of the fourth. They cut it to like sixteen. You know the Cardinal brought it back up a little, but then. You know, from that that point forward, you know, from like early fourth quarter until the end of the game, the Maryland was just cutting into the lead and just scoring consistently. Um, at the end, in the end of you know, the fourth quarter, they they put up thirty points on the Stanford defense, which is something we rarely ever see. The only time I can think of was was that Cal game you were yeah. covering. Yes, with Jada Curry. Um, I think it was the second quarter they put right. up thirty some points, and maybe against South Carolina in that third quarter. Yeah, yeah. But this was you know one of the few defensive breakdowns um, Stanford's had all year. Um, and yeah, in the end, it was kind of uncomfortably close for Stanford. They ended up winning 72-66 by six points. Um, I think Tara put it best after the game. She said, I'm glad the game is only four quarters because, you know, the way things were, were going, if, if there was a fifth quarter, it would have been a little scary well, for your Stanford point, Cardinal. be five periods quit yeah it would quit, not be quitters 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 i don't know if that one's gonna catch on but it's not exactly a verbal wildfire uh-uh. uh, <laughs> yes I, th- I think overall you know the maryland game was kind of a testament to how teams can never get comfortable with big leads in this tournament right um, level of competition is so high margin of error so thin that you have to stay on your toes as a team even if you have a 25 point plus lead right like the cardinal did well, I mean, that, that type of cushion that they built, you know, even though it, it, it skimmed away, it, it demonstrated, right, they're a capable team. But that was not a cushion that we saw in the Elite Eight game against Texas. I mean, coming into this Elite Eight matchup, right, number two seed Texas, number one Stanford. Texas, in my opinion, was the biggest threat to Stanford's uh, aspirations of repeating. I mean, even though there's probably better teams out there, right? You talk about South Carolina, you talk about UConn, you know, NC State, even though they're eliminated now. Uh, I just think matchup-wise, this is such a tough Texas team. Yeah, totally agree, Zach. Um, if you recall, in Stanford, just their second game of the season, right. still kind of, you know, floating on that NCAA championship from last season. They were having their ring ceremony, That's, in fact, yep. when they played against Texas earlier this season uh, back in November. And Texas, they beat them. It was kind of a, 
kind of a tough coming back to earth for, for the Cardinal. Um, at, at the time, they were really struggling with the absence of Keanu Williams at mm-hmm. the point guard position. And, you know, um, also at the time, uh, Lacey Hole and Anna Wilson hadn't quite, you know, stepped into the ball handling, ball handlers roles that they have now on the team. So they really struggled with that, you know, full court press the whole game and tons of turnovers. And that's ultimately what helped Texas um, to a 61-56 win at Maples right. back in November. So this Texas matchup, like you said, super tough for Stanford. And so going into the matchup, right, you you have all that information, you understand what Texas brings to the table, and with a head coach like Tara, you you know what you have to do to adjust, right? But even with these adjustments, Stanford had multiple people with ball handling duties, bringing the ball up the court, you know, a new press break. Texas still caused major trouble. Six forced turnovers in the first quarter. It ended up being 20 on the game, and they had Stanford on the ropes, and Gavin, it did not help that one, Stanford could not hit from outside the arc. Two, Texas was hitting their shots from beyond the arc. You know, Stanford was letting them shoot them. Not really the deepest, a deep threat team uh, throughout the season, but they they were they were catching fire. And and when that happens, obviously it's it's a little bit scary. But they they really kept it close and uncomfortable. Uh, and Cameron Brink on the bench with foul trouble that did not help either. Uh, and it, it seriously seemed like a moment. Uh, in the second and third quarter that Texas might have had that one. Yeah, we were we were texting throughout the game, Zach, Zach and I were, and we were like, oh my goodness, this is this does not look good. Even when Stanford had a few-point lead, it, it just didn't really feel like they were you know, in control of things. Right. Um, you mentioned Texas's good outside shooting, but they were also excelling from mid-range. Yep. Rory Harmon in oh particular, so many little crossovers, nice little moves into these mid-range, you know, 10 to 15-foot jump shots. She was on it um can we, t- can we take a moment to appreciate Roy Harvey yeah. she's a freshman goodness what a talent she is full court defense just hounding Stanford's ball handlers and then goes down the court makes some tough buckets I mean it's no surprise that she's playing the best basketball of her career you know obviously one season under Young her belt career, yeah but uh, the team is, was just peaking at the right moment they entered with the second longest win streak in the country at 14 games I mean Stanford with their win streak at 23 entering this game right not the longest in the country, but Texas, they had such big upsets under their belt. Winning the Big 12 uh, Conference Championship with upsets over Baylor and the number two seed in their conference as well, it's, it's, it's a team coming at their hottest, and Stanford had to address that. Right, yeah. Rory Harmon, like you said, what a start. If you recall, in that uh, November matchup, she scored 21 points. Yep. And even though she was, you know, phenomenal, had a phenomenal mm-hmm. game in, in some respects, Carnell kind of curtailed her production. Um, yeah. She had 14 points. I think she went 6 of 18 from the field. Yeah. So even though she had such a strong game, um, you know, Tara and the Cardinal definitely adjusted to, to limit her. You, you can't, like, fully eliminate her as a, as a right. factor in this game. She's such a talent, but they kind of controlled her. Do what you can to stop her. Yeah. I mean, that they did, especially it helped having Cameron Brink back on the floor in that third quarter. Oh my goodness, yes. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about this third quarter from Brink. She had 10 points. I think it was four of her six blocks came in the quarter. Um, during one stretch, if, if you recall, um, this was after Tara had switched you know, from the man to the zone. Mm-hmm. Um, about at the halfway point in the quarter, I'm not sure exactly. But there was a stretch, five possession stretch. It, it was wild. They didn't even get, Maryland didn't even get a shot near, on the rim. There was a Brink block, I think two Brink blocks, a Haley Jones block, a Brink steal, and another block. 
wild. wild. Five possessions, n- nothing close to a bucket for the Terrapins. That's the gravity that the sophomore forward has. And I, that's why I've been saying it as of late. She's absolutely, you know, when she's on the court, she's arguably the most viable player on this team. And, yes. and it's hard to do considering just how many stars and how much talent is on the roster. But obviously she struggles to stay on the court with foul trouble. And she's going to learn that as she gains more experience. But when she's on the court, she makes this team from a good team to a great team. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, so Stanford, after that really strong third quarter by Brink, they held a 45-40 f- uh, lead, a five-point lead um, in the fourth quarter. It was tight, I think, with uh, just about two and a half minutes to go. It was a 52-50. Um, and, you know, who gets the ball in your hands? A player who's just been shining for the Cardinal this whole tournament, one who had her career high of 36 points against Kansas, has been the leading scorer the last three games. This is, of course, Lexi Hall. And what does she do? You know, when, when the game is on the line, biggest moment, you know, one of the biggest moments of her career, an and one to give Stanford a five-point lead. Boom. That was it right there. I, I think that was the defining play of the game. Um, she just finished through, you know, multiple defenders through contact, um, made the free throw to give them a five-point lead with two and a half minutes left. And then, you know, Stanford up five points, 55-50, hit some free throws late, ended up winning 59-50 to advance to the Final Four. And, and that leads us to where we are now, the, the Final Four. Four teams left in Minneapolis, right where they wanted to be all season long. So, Gavin, with South Carolina, Louisville, UConn, and, of course, the Stanford Cardinal remaining, what will it take for the Stanford team to repeat? Oh boy, Zach, that is such a loaded question. Because yes, Stanford enters you know the Final Four game with a 24-game win streak, which is the longest in the country. And when they play Friday, they'll be 101 days removed from their last loss, which was against South Carolina. Wow. Um, but you have to remember now you're facing the best of the best, and each team brings something to the table. You know the people out there who are listening to us, they know what you and I think about Stanford, and you know they they know that we think they probably have what it takes to win, but. You know, how how do they really stack up against South Carolina, UConn, and Louisville? How how do they stack up? I'll, I'll be honest. I am you know maybe not equipped to fully answer this question. It's a tough one, but you know who is our show's second ever guest? Oh yes, Megan Gower. Megan Gower is a writer at both her Hoop Stats and the UConn blog, where she covers NCAA women's basketball and the WNBA. Megan is the creator of View from the Top, an in-depth newsletter where all season long she is focused on the race for the NCAA championship. You can read more of her work in the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly or hear from her on her hoop stats, Unplugged and Chasing Perfection, a UConn Women's Basketball podcast. Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So, Megan, you were at the Bridgeport Regional Final Monday night and you're headed to the Final Four tomorrow. And, you know, obviously a lot to talk about from those two areas. But before we can dive deeper into that, we'd love to hear about you. Um, you know, what has been your journey so far covering women's hoops, you know, leading you to where you are now? Yeah, so I feel like my story is probably a little bit unconventional in that I have a day job, which actually is not that uncommon of people that are covering women's basketball, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending how you look at it. But um, so I've always been a math person. I'm an actuary for my daytime job. Um, 
kind of stumbled into it a little bit in terms of just joining the Hoops Test team, having an interest in basketball. I grew up a basketball fan. Grew up in Connecticut, so I grew up like a woman sports fan too, which I think is a little bit different. Grew up watching UConn, grew up watching like U.S. Women's National Soccer. Um, so kind of stumbled into her hoop stats a little bit in 2018, I think it was. It's been like four years now, which is crazy to me, but um, started volunteering from them. And that's kind of just kind of snowballed over the years. And I've done a little bit more every year. And this year, I think still COVID in a way and not traveling for my day job, been able to cover UConn at every home game and be a lot more involved. So it's been a lot of fun this season. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. We got a lot of common interests, Megan, between that <laughs> and the women's basketball. We're got a lot, a lot of shared ground. Um, so you've done a great job with, with your coverage all season and, and of this tournament in particular. Um, just want to hear from you. We, we've been doing our coverage as well. We want to hear, in your opinion, what have been the most notable games and storylines in this tournament? I mean, I think starting out, it has to be the upsets, especially teams like Creighton and South Dakota that made it to Sweet 16 and then the Elite Eight for for Creighton as well, um, just to have two 10 seeds on the women's seat side make it that far. I think it's actually, it's not as uncommon as people think. I think it was like just back to like 2018 that we had like the same or almost the same number of wins for, for a double digit seed. So it does happen, but I think it got a little bit more attention this year, which was really positive to see the upsets were like the big storyline kind of in those opening rounds, which I think has been very exciting. But I think now as we're getting into this weekend, we're seeing more of just, you know, the teams that you expected to be there being there. But I think in a way that's good because it makes for better basketball in the final four. Definitely, definitely. Well, like you said, uh, those two 10 seeds taking down Iowa and Baylor, um, we thought that they might pose a challenge on that side of the bracket. But now with the final four set, right, we have Stanford, South Carolina, Louisville, and of course, UConn. Um, what did it take for them to get to this point? Yeah, I mean, South Carolina, I think the, like, the storyline is just so obvious. It's only a Boston. And it's been only a Boston all season long, and she really carried them through the stretch of the tournament so far. I think they got more contributions from everyone in that win over Creighton in the Elite Eight, but the story to start the tournament was definitely Boston's dominance inside, and I have a feeling that as we get into the Final Four, that's going to continue to be the storyline there. And then I think when you look at teams like Stanford and UConn, it's a little bit more about their depth and just the number of weapons that they have. I think I've seen it with Stanford all season long, really. It's a really deep team. It's, you know, yeah, Haley Jones and Cameron Brick are kind of the stars per se, but there's, you know, always five players on the floor that can hurt you offensively. And UConn, in a little bit in a similar way right now, I mean, obviously Paige Becker's last night was the story, but <laughs> I think we've seen them with all their injuries this season as well kind of go more to that depth and that's really been where they've been able to find success as well and then oh sorry no 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 all all (laughs) you and then for Louisville I feel like it's just kind of like the rise of Haley Van Leith and she started off the season kind of slow I think had really high expectations going into the season but she's just been really clutch for them and a lot of big games this season and especially down the stretch here. And I mean, her post-game interviews yesterday were awesome. And I think she's going to be a lot of fun to be covering the final floor. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, you right. You talk about Aaliyah Boston, South Carolina, obviously we, we kind of all expected them to be here, but the fashion in which they got here, Creighton was their first game having just to put it, to put it kind of like a, like a decent offensive game, right. They've really struggled from the field. Um, 
has that been something well we didn't expect that is that a point of concern do you think entering this stage of the tournament in a way I think it is because I think even though yes they put it together against Creighton I think putting your offense together against the 10 seed in Creighton especially a Creighton team that has like no one over 6-2 on their roster so they were guarding had like three people on only in Boston the whole game like if no one else scored in that game you had some really serious I think concerns about their offense so I still think it's a storyline down the stretch I think you look at a team like Stanford where the offense is so pretty at times, I feel like it's the best way to put it. And just so you have five people on the school floor that can score the ball. I don't feel that way about South Carolina still. It's, you know, Leah Boston's going to score. Destiny Henderson's going to score. But there's not always like the obvious third person that's going to put the ball to the basket. And I think when you get to a Final Four type game, you need to have multiple options that are going to score if you're going to win games. Yeah. So pivoting back to, to Stanford a little, a little bit, focusing in on them. Um, in your newsletter, View from the Top, you've written multiple times about turnovers being a, an area of concern for them. Um, after what you've seen from them in the, in the Spokane region, do you still think turnovers are a major issue for the team? Yeah, I think it's still when you look at this team, like the biggest kind of like hole that there is, is has been that kind of point guard position all season long. And then the turnover, I mean, they still have, they had 20 turnovers against Texas in the Elite Eight. Obviously, Texas is a team that's really strong defensively, can turn you over a lot. So maybe not super concerning, but it's, I mean, 20 turnovers is a lot of turnovers in a game. And I think that's going to be an area that teams are going to look to exploit as they get to the Final Four, because there's not a lot of weaknesses on this team. They have so much size, they have so much depth. So that's, I think, kind of one area that you can kind of really focus it on, trying to disrupt their offense. Yeah. So one one more perhaps weakness that we've seen from the team uh, is is foul trouble, particularly with with Cameron Brink. Um, what what have you seen in regards to that? Yeah, I think that's something. I mean, she's only a sophomore, so it just I think one of those things, especially as a big in the college game, takes time to learn. But Stanford is a much better team when she's on the floor, and being able to keep her on the floor as they get into the final four is going to be really critical, I think, for them, especially. I think just as you get to games like the Final Four, the deeper you get in this tournament, the margin for error just gets so much slimmer in every single game. And you want to be able to have your best players on the floor in the big moments. And I think keeping Brink out of foul trouble and on the court for as many minutes as possible is a big piece of that. Right. All, all throughout the show, Gavin and I have talked about um... – Cameron Brink being the X factor and you know she got in trouble against Texas and we we're I know Gavin and I were kind of like oh geez this is <laughs> and then second half immediately she comes in gets scores I don't I think it was three straight buckets gets six blocks yeah. on the day it was, yeah, it was ridiculous <laughs> but yeah. um pivoting away from Stanford you know we look to the rest of the field obviously um you do quite a bit of coverage for the UConn team um and we saw Paige Beckers on full display last night you know what is her return meant for the program and their title aspirations. Yeah, well, I mean, I think without her last night, UConn isn't going to a Final Four, and it's probably NC State that we're talking about right now. But I think just, I mean, having her back, and Gino said this a lot, it's just it gives the team so much more confidence as a whole. I think they can look to her, but they don't necessarily need to look to her like they did towards kind of the beginning of the season where it was kind of like Paige Beckers and everyone else. I think that attitude has gone away, but they still have a player like her that – and just lives for those moments like in double overtime yesterday that's going to come up and hit those big shots and be the player to step up she didn't have like an overwhelming first half I think 23 of her 27 points came in those 
second half and the two overtime periods. So she didn't carry the team to start, but I mean, she's she's the reason they're going to the final four. I think it's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also, in, in view from the top, you had UConn winning it all before the tournament. Um, after all you've seen, all you followed, has, has that changed or is that still what you, you forecast? Yeah, I think it changed kind of a lot last night with UConn losing Dorothy Yuhas. I think that's actually a huge blow for them in terms of their depth in the front court. Kind of like Cameron Brink, Olivia Nelson-Dota, and Leah Edwards are a little foul prone. They've had a lot of foul trouble at this tournament so far. And not having that kind of third option off the bench that you can bring in and easily kind of cycle through some size for the Huskies front court is, I think, going to be a problem for them, especially against a team like Stanford that has so much size, not having that that third option is going to be tough for them. I think the way, honestly, that we're seeing teams play right now, talked about how South Carolina's offense has been a little concerning. Stanford looks like the team to be, at least in my opinion. I think they look like the best team in the field right now. I kind of think whoever wins this UConn-Stanford game is who's going to win win it all. going to be one of those situations where kind of the national championship is before the <laughs> national championship yeah i'm sure if any south carolina fan listens to this i'm gonna have some people in my mentions about that but <laughs> yeah i i do think that like the stanford team kind of looks like the team to be right now definitely well good to hear it from a from an outside source you know, we, we love the team here and it's, it's 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 promising to hear that but you know final four this weekend a whole lot of fun basketball up ahead megan thank you so much for joining us we'd love to open the floor for you to bring up anything that you'd like obviously you know mention everything that you got going on yeah i mean just tune into the games this weekend i think is the biggest thing right like <laughs> following the game following the people that are covering it a lot of small outlets that are doing a lot of work and a lot of people that are, do have day jobs that are, are taking a lot of time so definitely check out coverage this weekend and I, I think we're in for two really exciting or three really exciting games so it should be a, a really fun weekend absolutely yeah, couldn't agree more megan thanks again for being here we, we really appreciate your time of course thanks for having me there it is folks megan gower writer at both her hoop stats and the yukon blog with the preview of this weekend's final four up ahead in minneapolis and of course the national championship game to follow Yes, Zach. Next time we speak, we'll be recapping the Stanford team's special season. Whether that season ends in the national semifinal, the final four, NCAA championship, or in Stanford's second title in a row, if they go back to back, that remains to be seen. We will have to wait and see. Until then, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the Stanford Daily Podcast editors. And thanks to Megan once again for being our guest. Until next time. Intara, we trust. Special thanks to Gavin McDonnell and Zach Zafrin for hosting this new series. This episode was produced by Philip Belargin. I'm Chloe Mendoza, Managing Editor of Podcasts for Volume 261. For more podcasts by the Stanford Daily, visit stanforddaily.com slash category slash podcasts.